Our executive producer, Adam Gobesi, suggested we watch the movie Saw 4 today. Uh, instead of that, we're going to be watching The Searchers with our special guest, oh, Adam Gobesi. everyone welcome to another episode of cinematic respect the show where we force our tastes onto our friends and hopefully they become better people as a result but uh, i think we'll be putting that to the test today so jessica i actually wanted to start off on a sort of more serious note so there's a friend of mine that i've been hanging out with and i've been a little bit worried about him he He's been acting kind of strangely, and I think maybe he actually is a psychopath. So I looked up online what some common characteristics of psychopaths are. One of them is that they're grandiose. I think this guy kind of fits the bill of that. He likes to make fun of people around him. He has a high estimation of himself. <laughs> and he's cunning and manipulative. He lacks remorse or guilt. There's actually one time I remember where he took a shot of tequila and threw it on a stove set the whole house on fire, and then walked away. So I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit worried about this guy. <laughs> I know what your guy you're talking about, Charlie. Yes, I'm talking about Ethan something. Or Ethan rather. Edwards. Ethan Edwards. Oh, I thank you for up. looking that up. So I'm, I'm bad with the names. So we watched The Searchers. The Searchers, a classic, supposedly, uh, <laughs> with, with John Wayne, directed by uh, John Ford. And uh, yeah, it tells the story of Ethan Edwards, Again, played by John Wayne, um, who uh, comes back to find the uh, Texas farm owned by his brother after he's uh, finished fighting in the Civil War. He's there for all of, what, 24 hours, (laughs) maybe 48, (laughs) um, before tragedy befalls the family. And several of the family members are murdered by Comanches, and the two daughters are carried off. And so this movie takes place over a five-year stretch where he and some other people in the village, I don't even know if that's the right term. Yeah, they're so spread out. (laughs) People that live in the territory. Texicans. (laughs) Texicans. And they do use that that name. You know, join together to try to find the girls. Um, and uh, spoiler alert: one of them dies pretty early on, but they do end up uh, in this major quest, going to find to find the youngest girl, which they do, and rescue her and bring her bring her back to the the good old white folk that are not at all <laughs> savage, mm-hmm. like like the Comanche. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the person who chose this movie, who hadn't seen it before, is our good friend and executive producer Adam Gobeski. Welcome to the show, Adam. Hello from Skype. Oh, yes. Uh, I'm just throwing that in there so that uh, any sound quality differences have just been explained. Out. <laughs> would, they th- would they think that that was your voice? They might. Guy, this guy sounds a little bit compressed. I don't understand. <laughs> How is he doing that? <laughs> yeah, maybe they'd be impressed by you, actually. It's a man of a thousand voices. Yes, thank you for welcoming me on to your uh, Cinematic Regret podcast. <laughs> <laughs> why why you were saying that you thought cinematic regret would be a better name for this podcast yeah you regret that you haven't seen something and then you fix it where's the respect coming i don't understand the respect you need to explain the respect to me as your guest explain the podcast to me okay so <laughs> there's two things that perhaps deserve respect one is the movie itself so we've written down a list of movies that you can find online that we think are the best of the best. Mm-hmm. So 
we're honoring those movies by devoting entire podcasts to them. But at the same time, we feel that our friends need to earn our respect by watching these movies. Absolutely. It's aspirational. These movies that you've never seen. Well, I've I've seen The Searchers, all right? No, you haven't. Shut up. (laughs) Now... I know you said that. I, I thought you were just being combative because you didn't. You wanted to try to pick something I hadn't seen. It turns out I had seen it, even though it wasn't originally on our list. No one has seen The Searchers. <laughs> no one? I have to say, my dad, who's like this massive John Wayne fan, after I watched this with you last week, I was like, oh, hey, dad, I watched The Searchers. He's like, what? I'm like, John Wayne. He's like, never heard of it. <laughs> I was like, and check. It's <laughs> a little bit unusual. <laughs> Adam, weren't you saying that some people consider this the best Western in existence, best Western film. So it's supposed to be at the very least the best Western of the 1950s. Okay. So it's ranked 12th place in the 2007 AFI 100 Greatest American Films list. Really? Yeah. In 2008, the AFI named it the greatest Western of all time. Currently has a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Yep. Hmm. And it's been selected for the National Archive. Glenn Frankel's 2013 study of the film calls it the greatest Hollywood film that few people have seen. Uh, Okay, maybe. Sure. So I've watched some Westerns before. I've not watched a lot of Westerns. And I think to some extent I'm spoiled because of it. So the things that I've watched, what I often quote as my favorite movie is Unforgiven starring and directed by Clint Eastwood. I'm sorry, what? Unforgiven? (laughs) Have you never seen this movie? never... I own that brought one. this up. I own you that one. I knew that. Never I knew that in college. once brought this up. It's true. I have known you longer than I haven't known you. You have known me <laughs> longer than you haven't known me. You have never brought this movie up. Uh, You've never quoted from it. You've never talked about it. You're a liar. Maybe he's just not comfortable being that vulnerable with you. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't like to share his deep likes and dislikes. <laughs> but I share my likes and dislikes with you. That's why you're the perfect executive producer for the show, actually. So, and well, the other Westerns I've seen is, I remember in undergrad, we watched the Man With No Name trilogy, right? Did we watch all of those? I know we had originally watched... Um, uh, we Fist- at least watched The Fistful of Dollars. Right. So I think you came up with the idea that we would watch um, Fistful of Dollars, Yojimbo. Yeah, well, yeah. So we watched the Yojimbo and then the remake of Yojimbo, A Fistful of Dollars. And then the remake of Yojimbo and A Fistful of Dollars, Last Man Standing with Bruce Willis. Right. <laughs> to some extent, in order of quality, yes. Just set in, like, Prohibition, yeah. <laughs> with Christopher Walken. I remember that one. Hmm. So, I mean, reasonably well-regarded Westerns are the ones that I've seen. So I guess I was a little bit underwhelmed by this film, probably as a result of that. I'm sure if I'd seen a lot of other Westerns, like, there must be a ton of crappy Westerns out there. It's just, But I've never I, I taken th- the opportunity. I thought it was interesting because it being classified or characterized as a Western or quite possibly the best Western going into it. Um, I I did not see it before this. I was expecting something different. And I don't know that after seeing it that I really think of it so much as a Western as I do an epic. I think you could take the story and put it in a different place. Like, I don't know, early colonies on Mars. And it would have like the exact same (laughs) feel. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't have to be. I think the idea is that, you know, it's people against the elements people against, you know, kind of uh, ruthless cutthroat scenarios. Right, but in some regards, that's what a Western is. Right, yeah, I mean, that's, I suppose. that's true, yeah. So, Adam, what did you think this movie was going to be before you watched it? Or did you have such a good idea that you pretty much hit it spot on? I thought it was going to be a John Wayne Western directed by John Ford. Oh, you predicted the director? <laughs> that's impressive. 
Well, it says because on the cover of my my sparkling, shining HD DVD copy of this, it tells Ooh. me that John Ford directed this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's so, right. HD DVD. It's still the future, kids. <laughs> Our friend Matt, I remember, got into that uh, HD DVD slash Blu-ray war a little bit too early. <laughs> Oh, see, the best time to get into it is when it's too late and the HD DVD is already a dead format because then you can get this stuff so cheap. And the quality is easily as good as Blu-ray. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, it's just like VHS versus uh, Betamax. But I remember Matt had bought his HD DVD <laughs> and several <laughs> uh, several DVDs to go along with it. And I think the format died, oh, six months after that, something like that. This, this is exactly how I ended up with uh, the, my very first computer desktop computer i bought in in you know 1999 uh came with a zip drive you know <laughs> that, that was cool for like 30 seconds uh, the zip drive and the jazz drive don't forget the jazz drive i'm not even familiar with i'm the not jazz familiar drive. <laughs> oh it's just another i omega product oh, okay i think it might have just been like a different size or something oh mm. gotcha I'm sure that people come to this podcast to hear hard-hitting technical commentary exactly. about failed media, computer media. Well, back to the film, everyone. <laughs> to the epic film. So uh, so one of the things that I was really impressed about with this movie was the cinematography. I mean, mm-hmm. it had beautiful shots almost I did, throughout. I, I did have a question. Yes, yes. Uh, which part of Texas exactly is Monument Valley in again? I have no idea where this was texaco or what the... <laughs> texaco i don't know <laughs> somewhere between texas and mexico in, in other words monument valley is nowhere near texas arizona utah border. oh yeah that wouldn't have been part of texas at that point even right no oh nope. okay well maybe that was just how everybody referred to themselves out in those territories maybe they didn't know where they were well, I just enjoyed that, like, the opening caption says, Texas, 1868, and then immediately a picture of Arizona. Oh, I see. <laughs> I, see I see what yeah. you're saying. You, was... you could figure it out just by the uh, the shots. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Up here in Wisconsin, we weren't uh, weren't immediately <laughs> aware. Oh, it looks like a desert. It must yep. be the West. <laughs> oh, just Monument Valley. So iconic an image obviously and to me that's so it tied up in like utah arizona border also having drawn driven across the texas panhandle area and not seen anything remotely like that <laughs> it's very very flat in west texas john ford was like uh can we just film somewhere else and just say it's in texas yeah <laughs> basically yeah. but yeah i be so i had seen this movie when i was maybe 15 or 16, something like that. When Shut I Shut up. You did not. I did so. You did. It was back in high school. I had the bright idea that, oh, here's all these AFI top 100 movies. I'm going to watch as many as I can. And so many of them, the only way I could see them was TCM uh, would show these movies, but they wouldn't show them till late at night. Like during the day, they would show more popular stuff that get more viewers. But sometimes you'd have to stay up till one or two in the morning to watch to these watch movies. To watch The Searchers. Right. And if you stayed awake... If it started at two in the morning, you right. are you're a stronger, stronger person. I remember than I am. watching uh, Birth of a Nation. Oh, what a chore. Wow. I was like, I'm going to stay up and watch that one. There's no other way I'm going to be able to watch this. And it's so freaking long. And it's like two in the morning. And the ending is so racist that I was like, <laughs> just having weird fever dreams after that. But yeah, so I've seen this movie and I, I remembered a couple of the shots from it. Like I was that impressed with the cinematography, but there's a lot of things I did not remember about it. So that was another thing that was interesting. At the top, we didn't have any idea that the searchers were going to be searching for five years. Yeah, right? we had no idea that, it was going to be that long. Yeah. yeah, 
maybe it's going to take place over the course of a few weeks or a few months. But I just remembered that the daughter was played by Natalie Wood. And I was like, this is going to take a lot longer than everyone thinks it's going to take, isn't it? Because I just remembered her being grown up. By the so, end. Yeah. Yeah. See, the back of the HD DVD case <laughs> says that it's a five-year search. So I knew that going into it. <laughs> so really, I should be just reading the DVD cases before I watch these things. Absolutely. <laughs> the HD DVD cases. The disadvantage of uh, Amazon Prime rentals, huh? Yeah, exactly. Well, the other problem with it was that we only had it for a day, right? When we rented yeah, it. Yeah, 24 hours. So I was like, oh, I better get all of these sound clips I want. Immediately. Immediately. And then I forgot to ask you if you wanted any sound clips, Adam. I'm sorry. But I would have had to rent it again uh, to get them. I, I'm okay with not violating copyright laws. <laughs> oh, you think that's what's happening? Well, we're critiquing. No, no, I'm sure it's fair use. We're critiquing the film. Yes, so you're allowed. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. it definitely falls under fair use. You're just, you're just giving me crap. That's right. Well, I'm the executive producer. In my executive producer role, it's my job to give you crap and money. <laughs> and since I don't have money to give you, you get crap. <laughs> you get extra crap. <laughs> Uh, It's a rough deal, Charlie. (laughs) I know. (laughs) You should look into that. (laughs) But the other thing about the cinematography that was interesting was there were a few scenes that were clearly just soundstage backdrop stuff, which is a little bit... It it took me out of... I understand. I mean, especially back in the... I mean, it's super expensive to go do these wide in the desert shots, especially with a lot of characters and I don't think the cabins. I think it was a lot of cabin Mm -hmm. scenes that had that. Cabin scenes, yeah. Any of the the stuff where they were near building structures of any kind you'd get the nice like perfectly fairy tale painted backdrops right, behind yeah. them yeah <laughs> you can almost see the backdrop kind of like blowing in the wind a exactly. little bit in the studio so i thought that was a little bit disjointed at the same time understanding that the limitations yeah limitations yeah. of what they were able to do i mean the shots that they did do like you said the wide scenery shots those things were were really beautifully done and um again cheating looking at imdb um right. <laughs> but i mean it, there are several uh, directors that that mention this movie as being uh, an inspiration for for some of those better landscape you know shot whatever movies like Lawrence of Arabia right for right but yeah I just wonder if I didn't know going in all of those things that people had said about it whether I would have really put this near the top of my list at all but that's the other thing is that once we actually started discussing it after we watched the movie I realized there are a few more layers at least to the story that mm-hmm. I really realized. Um, I, for one, um, I thought it was really interesting. So, you know, you have John Wayne's character, Ethan, coming back to his his family um, and you have his brother. He seems like he's a good guy, but just clearly not very bright and not yeah. very capable. Um, and his wife, Martha, and they don't ever really say so, but in definitely in several scenes indicate that uh, there was some kind of uh, unfulfilled love between uh, the Ethan character and then his brother's wife, Martha, where, you know, she kind of like lovingly gets his coat. And, right. I don't know, just little things. And then once the farm is attacked by the Comanches and he comes back, like he's first looking for her. Right. Like that. So there's right. definitely little. Or other things like when he first comes to the house. And he picks up the little girl mm. and thinks it's Debbie. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as he finds out it isn't Debbie, then he puts that girl down and goes over to Debbie. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I forgot about that. But these are things that I definitely didn't pick up the first time I watched it. Yeah. And like the sort of subtle glances between them were things that you were pointing out. I'm not even sure that I would have caught them this time around, but that's a little, that's a little bit to do with my uh, obliviousness watching films. As Adam always loves to point out. 
<laughs> uh, I also thought it was interesting too, like kind of um, questioning his character to some extent when he has money to pay his brother for he's going to buy out the land or buy out the cattle or I don't know something at the beginning. And so he offers him this money, and it's like this like perfectly intact gold coins, like they're not roughed up at all. Mm-hmm. And so there's this like. I don't know, raised eyebrow suspicion that perhaps he got them in some kind of an illegal way. Right. None of these things are answered. Yeah. But but that's the point, right? Uh, like, like that establishes that his character is not a good person. Exactly. This is, this is not a hero. We should not be looking up to Ethan Edwards. No, I, I completely agree. I have to say the recurring theme throughout the film is that everything he ha- thinks, like all of his good instincts are 100% correct and everybody else is stupid. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's like never proven wrong. <laughs> like the whole time is uh it was pretty entertaining. Like he's just cocky and gruff and uh um arrogant and it's just upheld again and again and again. <laughs> <laughs> so originally the, the the neighbor gets his cattle rustled and then they find a couple of cattle just killed, right? So obviously these people weren't cattle rustlers because they would have kept the cattle. And then Ethan realizes that that means that it was actually an Indian tribe that was intent on destroying their homes and the people in their homes. Yeah, that this was just a decoy. Ethan decides that he doesn't have time to go back, that it's already too late, which actually was a really interesting aspect of his character, too, where everyone else just has the initial instinct. We have to go back as quickly as we can to try to save people. And he already realizes that he can't. And he doesn't even give people the illusion. He's not even willing to give them that, that maybe we could get back in time. He's like, like no, well, forget it. he knows, though. He knows the horse would die. Oh, that's true, too. Yeah, yeah he's like thinking he a little bit more tired. practically about it. Yeah. yeah. When he comes back, uh, everyone has been killed by the Comanche, except he finds, so Debbie, uh, her doll, which suggests that maybe they've just kidnapped her, which I guess is something that happens a lot and maybe something he's familiar with, that uh, Indian tribes may take white children and take them in as this their own was, and raise this them. This was historically things that happened. Yeah. So it's not like this is a completely made up racist thing, right? Like this actually did happen. And reading kind of the backstory of it, it sounds like this was pieced together from like two or three history, you know, historically true events. And I think that's an important distinction to make. A movie like this from the 50s that has Native Americans and cowboys may have come up with something like that, which is extremely racist. But this is definitely not one of those instances. Um Here's a clip of the Ethan attending the funeral that happens right before they go out searching for Debbie. Gather with the saints, that's the Put an amen to it. There's no more time for prayer. Amen. Brad, Mark. Amen. So he's not even willing to let the funeral Complete. go on. Yeah. <laughs> They've been there for like maybe five minutes is the most he could take. And then he was like, all right, funeral's over. Let's get going. Which given that, you know, he supposedly was in love, secretly in love with Martha. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. like there's no time for mourning. Time is, you know, action. Right. It's very definitely very interesting the times he chooses to rush and the times he doesn't choose to. But at the beginning, the reverend, you know, deputizes, you know, I don't know, I guess people that live in the nearby territory. And... He actually refuses to be deputized because uh, he's he's already taken an oath. And that oh, was to, to the, the United States, you know, whatever, the Confederate, <laughs> Confederacy. Con, con, yeah, the United, yeah, the Confederacy of the United States. Do you think that was genuine, though? Like, he seems like a guy who doesn't have a lot of allegiances besides to his potential family, right? Yeah. 
So I, I wonder if he was just trying to get out of it or whether he actually really had some sort of allegiance to the South. No, he clearly has allegiance to the South. Look how long he's wearing that uniform. It's 1868 and he's still wearing the uniform, right? No, like, that's To true, be yeah. totally serious, mm-hmm. I think that's the part of the point, yeah. It's three years after the Civil War has ended and there's some theories that he was, you know, took so long to get back, partly because he was also fighting some other things, like maybe the Mexican Wars. So everybody gets up in this big group and they go out to find Debbie and Lucy, who is the other daughter. So these two girls have been kidnapped. They go on for not too long before they find Lucy dead in a canyon, which mercifully we don't have to see. And mercifully, the other characters don't have to see, but Ethan sees it. So yeah, that's an interesting thing. Like you said, he's kind of an anti-hero type, um, but there's there's some things that he does that are noble. Right, right. Throughout the entire movie, the Native American group is called the Comanche by almost everyone, which is I've always heard it pronounced Comanche. So we looked this up and I guess that was on purpose, right? Because somehow by mispronouncing their name, it might be slightly more derogatory. Right. So that kind of initially detracted until we looked it up. I feel like that's a lot of this movie is like, ah, I don't get why they're doing this. And then we start doing some investigating like, oh, okay, well, you know, that, that makes makes sense, actually, the way they did it. Yeah. No, I think this was this was real, like uh, histor- historically accurate. At the very beginning, the, the guy who comes and the neighbor who says he's had his cattle rustled, Brad is his his son. And Brad is in love with Lucy, the one that they eventually find uh, raped and killed. Um, And so he was very committed to going to try to find Lucy. And then the other guy is named Martin. And he was kind of an adopted son of Ethan's brother uh, and his wife. And uh, Ethan's actually the one who found him and kind of saved him. He supposedly one-eighth Cherokee. Right. Yeah. So he's a half-breed or, you know, whatever. And so he's definitely treated poorly by Ethan throughout. Like initially, I didn't like him, but I think he's actually one of the more interesting characters in the movie. He's he's kind of like I don't know the like fourteen year old girl of the film, like the whole time, right? <laughs> but this is his uh, initial introduction, right after his initial introduction to Marty or reintroduction, I suppose. Yes. Well, I couldn't mistake you for a half breed. Um, not quite. I'm eighth Cherokee, and the rest is Welsh and English. At least that's what they tell me. Grown some. Was Ethan fond you, squalling under a sage clump after your folks had been massacred? It just happened to be me. No need to make more of it. Thank you, Lucy. So, yeah, I just captured all of the silence that happened immediately after he said that. All right, so we think that Debbie may be his daughter, right? Maybe. Maybe. There's a there's a non-zero chance. There's a non-zero chance that that's a possibility just because there's some sort of romantic interaction between him and Debbie's mother. Mm-hmm. But this is also another situation where we're not really told directly what's going on here. Like, why does Ethan not want to talk about this specifically? I mean, it's probably a traumatic situation, you know, finding a baby whose family had been massacred. But is there any more to it than that? It's really kind of hard to say because he really takes a liking to Marty or he lets Marty hang along. He lets Marty hang out, which is about as close as you can get to liking for him. I mean, everybody is 
less capable that their ideas are terrible basically um than than him and so he he really picks on marty and he definitely makes it very clear to him that they are of no relation you know don't call me uncle ethan just call me ethan you know that kind of right there's a very big resistance to him being called uncle which makes sense with his character right he doesn't want the familiarity to be there but that's what's very forceful also he's a racist yes well yeah that's true too yeah having any amount of uh impure blood right yeah yeah it's very clear that ethan is a racist i i did find it interesting though um so on the one hand the kind of the tradition of the time where there are people who are clearly of native american descent who are actors in this movie but any supposed native americans in the film who have speaking roles are white guys (laughs) right yeah (laughs) with just a lot of makeup but then the other thing, they don't make the Indians, the Comanches in this case, um, any more brutal than the white men are. I mean, they, I feel like they keep right. it pretty equivalent that, you know, they, they the main villain, um, you know, he has all these scalps. But at the end of the film, it's, you know, Ethan who scalps, you know, right, him and, exactly. and trying to keep that the, I don't know, the atrocities are kind of even. The main Comanche that they're following the whole time with this group is named Scar. And played by a white actor. Played right? by a white actor. Um, but at one point, there's an interaction between him and Ethan. Like, I think maybe the only time they really meet mm-hmm. where he says that uh, his sons had actually been killed by white settlers. Mm-hmm. So you get a little bit of that, but I don't know if it overall it feels even or not. Like, I from know, my I, filmmaking I just thought it was interesting. Like, they sat down together and they talked right. together. And right, it was exactly. just a little bit more, I don't know, there was some respect at least. Yes, yes, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> So the whole group decides to split up, right? Or Ethan basically forces them to split up, right? He doesn't yes. really want anyone coming along. No, but the, he yes, just the can't two get volunteers. rid of Marty and right. Martin and Brad. The interesting juxtaposition there is where all of these people who were originally in the group for maybe, what, some short period of time yeah. compared to the total amount mm-hmm. of five years, mm-hmm. we get to see them going back and living lives, right? Doing yes. other things and then meeting up again with Ethan and Marty later. Yeah. So I, th- I think it's just interesting to see like, okay, well, these people are actually willing to get on with their lives, but this is all that Ethan and Marty have been doing for- For years. This, yeah. To give it this feeling of like how much time is really passing. I mean, they throw other bizarre things into the mix. I mean, you're you're looking for shreds of clues across, you know, great distances because at points they talk about how they canvas like up to like Montana and, you know, when they hit those big snowstorms and like they were taking in big amounts of territory- but, you know, uh, Barty accidentally gets himself married or the equivalent of married. He accidentally oh, trades right. himself a, uh, a Native American wife. Um, <laughs> yeah, I got that one, too. <laughs> oh, you do? <laughs> <I> <laughs> All right, do. then. What's she following us for? Oh, you, you go on back now. Go on. Now, look, I changed my mind. You can keep your blanket. Look, you don't understand. I don't want it. You don't understand, you chunkhead. You didn't buy any blanket. You bought her. You got yourself a wife, Sonny. Oh, no, no. Ethan, Ethan, you tell her to get on back there. (laughs) Which I liked for two reasons. One, use the word chunkhead, which I had never (laughs) heard before. But also, I think it's one of the only times that Ethan really laughs, laughs about yeah. anything or seems to be enjoying himself always seems to be at marty's expense i agree uh no clearly martin is the best 
of the characters. He's he is clearly meant to be the hero of this story. He's clearly there to balance out John Wayne's character because John Wayne's character is clearly shown to not be a good person. He's a racist. He's a thief. He has no strong commitments to things. Uh, he has no sense of duty in some respects. These are all things that Martin has. So he's going out there not just because he wants to find Debbie, but also because he knows that if Ethan finds Debbie, Ethan will kill her and he will not let that happen. Right. Do you think that he knows that Ethan might do that? Yes, absolutely. He absolutely knows that. That's why he goes out there. Yeah, well, at some point along the arc, I feel like that's that's made very clear that he he knows that. But I don't know that he knows that right from the get-go. Do you think so? Not from the get-go, but I think from spending enough time with him over the maybe that first year or so, it's very clear that even though uh, Lori specifically says, stay here, you don't have to go. I won't wait for you if you go. Martin says... No, I have to go because otherwise, if he finds her, he will kill her. That's clearly what's going on. And his sense of duty there is greater than his uh, love and affection for Lori. Yeah. Oh, and he considers her to be family. That's his sister as far as he's concerned. Yeah. Right. Debbie. Which I guess comes back to then, why is would Ethan go through the length to do this? If he knows that, I guess he's going to assess the situation when he gets there. Is that it? And see whether she's been converted or not? Or is he always planning on killing her? Uh, I, I suspect there probably is a, an element of assessing the situation, but clearly it's just also a matter of being obsessive. And this is a thing that he can do because he's not a man who's designed to settle down and raise cattle or oh, eat so yeah. farming, right? So this gives him a goal. Yeah, he, he goes from, from one one battle to the next. Right. So he sits down for a day with his family, and then luckily this comes up for him, right? I mean, yeah. from his perspective, because I don't think he's really made to be, yeah. Well, even at the at the end, I mean, you have the opening scene of him, you know, riding across this wide expanse, heading towards this cabin, and then the very last scene, finally returning her to a family, what turns out to be um, the, the Jorgensen's, the, the family whose yeah. cattle were rustled in the first place. Everybody else goes inside. Because, you know, the quest is done and he doesn't. You know, you see him walking away and the door closes, like walking back out into the expanse again. Right, right. Uh, oh, so there's another character uh, named Lori, <laughs> who is part of the Jorgensen family. Yes, Brad's younger sister. Uh, who has Marty as a romantic interest and provides some of the few comic relief scenes. So Ethan's not going to provide the comic relief. So it's really everybody else's job. Yeah. So I captured uh, one of those scenes, too, which is. Probably, in my opinion, the funniest scene. Is this of the, the movie. bathtub scene? Hey, what are you doing anyway? Hey, don't go taking that stuff. Well, it ain't worth the mending. What are you getting so red in the face about? I got brothers, ain't I? Yeah, well, I ain't one of them. Now, looky here, Martin Polly. I'm a woman. We women wash and mend your dirty clothes all your lives. When you're little, we even wash you. How you can ever make out to be bashful in front of a woman, I'll never know. Now you talk like a fella just might as well run around naked. Wouldn't bother me nothing. Sure wouldn't try and firm follow if I was you. At which point she dumps cold water on him in the bath, and yeah. then he proceeds to take his boot and throw it at her. Yes. As she leaves. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's a pretty quick way to establish there's some sort of romantic you know, interest between the two. And I guess there has been for quite a long time. Yes. As she says, they've been going steady for... Like since they were very, very little. Very little, and he just didn't know it. Yes. (laughs) 
But that bring, <laughs> brings me to... Uh, Your favorite character? Yeah, my favorite character. Uh, we're keeping count of how many characters throughout all these movies are named Charlie. And there's this movie's certainly no exception. Oh, gosh. He's a... Marty goes back out on the range to try to find uh, Debbie. Debbie and has gone for a long time. So Charlie kind of swoops in. Oh, my... I don't care if he never comes back. Laurie, Laurie. Charlie, you stay for supper. I won't take no for an answer. Oh, the saying no never entered my head, Miss Jorgerson. Ain't no place I'd rather be than right here. Right now. Gone again, skip to Maloo. Gone again, skip to Maloo. It's a continuing the trend that all Charlies are assholes. Pretty yeah, much. Pretty much. <laughs> but I, I thought it was kind of interesting that there's definitely one line that Charlie says in that clip that's unintelligible to me. Like after he's invited for dinner, she says, I won't take no for an answer. And I cannot tell what he, he says is saying. something about the idea never came into his head, but I can't forget to the leave. beginning yeah. of it. Yeah. But it, 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 he's like unintelligible when he's speaking. And then you hear him get like super clear when he sings. Right. Which I understand is something that can kind of happen with people's singing voices because. I right. Know. I mean, is that isn't that something that happens, Adam? Like, especially if you're like uh, English versus American singers, like sometimes accents go away or intonation is, yeah, is different. And per- well, particularly just in in musical theater in general, accents are said to are supposed to disappear when you sing. Oh, I see. But like going back to the 1860s, if a guy had that accent and he started singing, would it become that clear? Or is that just a musical theater? This guy's a trained actor. That's what he does sort of thing. Uh, probably. I mean, it's obviously it's going to become clearer, right? Because right. you're pronouncing your vowels a lot more and stuff. But yeah, I I think that's just a convention. Yeah. Yeah, but it's kind of like, oh, why would she like Charlie at all? And I listened to his voice. I was like, all right, that's all right, not he's bad. Okay you can play and the he's guitar. There, you can sing. You know, Martin leaves. <laughs> he's there. I guess so, it's a good I think point. it's because he's there. Yeah, the point at which uh, that bath scene takes place when they're at the Jorgensen's house, uh, Ethan and Ethan and Martin, it's one year into their search. And then he goes back out. And this whole thing is five years long. So he doesn't, I mean, he sees her again at least once more before the five years is up. But, I mean, there's multiple years of passing in there. And, you know, all those childbearing years are just tick, tick, ticking away for right. Lori. So exactly. Charlie's there. <laughs> and that's another thing that there's so much time between sometimes when you even get visitors like everyone is excited no matter who is coming Mm -hmm. as long as they know it's not a threat Mm -hmm. right that's a huge deal or to get a letter is like really martin only sends one letter Mm -hmm. which is something but certainly not enough not enough for Lori anyway right and then oh then there's another scene where i alluded to in the intro he meets up with one mexican guy right if not a group of mexicans and ethan gets a shot of tequila and throws it on the stove that they have there and then walks off to end the scene. Like, it's not clear why he does it. Well, I guess it could go back to what you're saying, Adam, that he's just super racist, right? Because, yeah, he starts their stove on fire and it's like spreading and he just walks away. (laughs) I mean, I think part of it is to show just how strong the tequila is. (laughs) (laughs) I guess so. Yeah, maybe it's just played for super comic relief. Uh, But Martin sits down to to drink and then I don't know if he's getting hit on by this dancer. By the Castanets dancer. But he only gets a couple of seconds before Ethan gets up and throws the drink on the fire and says, we're going now. He doesn't give Martin the chance to enjoy himself whatsoever. And this is like in the back room, in the front room, like at the bar, um, they're all going to have drinks. They're all going to have shots of tequila or some hard alcohol. And Martin's 
Martin says he'll have one, and he says, no, you won't, and takes it out of his hand. Right. <laughs> so it's not until he gets to the back room and this other woman, like, serves him one, and he's like, all right, I'm finally going to enjoy my drink. But then Ethan snatches it out of his hand and throws it on the fire. <laughs> More than half the comic relief of this movie comes at the expense of expense Martin, of Martin. <laughs> by Ethan. <laughs> when we first started watching it, I wasn't expecting that is um, the searching party whittled down to just Ethan and Martin, that I guess I had to kind of assume that Martin's character would take like this arc where he would become more hardened or more like Ethan, or at least not in all ways, maybe not giving up kind of his core personality traits, but maybe just becoming a little bit harder or a little bit more um, having the intuition that Ethan seems to have right. about situations, which does not happen at all. Right. But I think that kind of makes sense with what Adam was saying then, that Martin's really just a foil to Ethan. So mm -hmm. if Ethan doesn't change, Martin's still providing the same... The same yeah. balance. But yeah, he's Martin's kind of whiny and... Kind of a little girl. Yeah. Don't know if he Shut could make mouth. it out there on this. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know if he could make it on his own out in the range, but... You shut your damn mouth. You think he could survive on his own? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was asking. <sighs> but don't call him whiny. <laughs> All right, fair. Fair enough, fair enough. Particularly with those dreamy blue eyes. Oh, my gosh, they're like piercingly oh, yeah. blue. Immediately, first thing I noticed about him. Star Trek's Jeffrey Hunter with his piercing blue eyes, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, There's a little bit later where... There's a wedding scene, or an almost wedding almost scene. Almost wedding scene. Obviously, Martin's been gone for quite some time, and Laurie's got Charlie there. And so they're clearly about to get married, and wouldn't you know it, that's right when Ethan and <laughs> Martin turn moment. up um, <laughs> after Ethan's been injured. Um, so this is after they, they sit down with Scar, and after they see that Debbie is alive, but that she's markedly changed. Oh, right, yeah. That she's, she's, little, yeah. she's, you know, clearly kind of one of them. Yeah, Martin stops Ethan from killing her refuses to get out of the way and uh Ethan... at the wedding no 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 no. sorry this is all pre-wedding i'm trying to fill in the gap real quick there'll be no murder at this wedding not this time <laughs> not this time uh debbie sorry that's what i meant to say you're right martin keeps him from killing debbie oh so i actually have that clip too that's probably better that i play that yeah, one let's first play that one because first. yeah chronologically chronological oh don't you remember me debbie i remember i'm always First, I prayed to you. Come and get me. Take me home. You didn't come. But I've come now, Debbie. These are my people. Hunt Mayor. Go. Go, Martin, please. Stand aside, Martin. No, you don't, Ethan. Ethan, no, you don't! Stand aside. So they'd just been at the camp, right? They had met with Debbie, and then she had run away from the camp to go meet up with them. So the question is, what is her motivation at this point? So what Ethan thinks is that she's been completely brainwashed. Or the more I thought about it, the more I kind of envisioned that she had come to basically convince them of that that she had been brainwashed, that they just need to go so that they wouldn't be killed. Like, that's the only thing that really explains why, why... she ran after them. Yeah. Well, why she ran after them then, but also why later she acts completely differently, like when they finally end up meeting again. So it was, it was an interesting scene, but I guess Ethan doesn't really catch on to that and wants to kill her. Yeah. And then Martin stands in the way and blocks him. Once they're running away then from the Comanche who do show up, that uh, Ethan 
don't know, some somehow gets injured in his arm. Um, oh, right. He gets shot with an arrow. He shot yeah. with an arrow or something. And so he, he Mar- Martin takes care of him and, and tries to keep him, keep it from getting infected. And so at one point you find out that uh, Ethan has filled out a will to leave oh, right. all of his belongings to Martin. So again, like he it's, it's doesn't weird. seem like he wants Martin around Mm-mm. and he treats him like crap. But then he decides he's going to leave this to Martin. I mean, I guess, yeah, it's just a long time to be hanging out with somebody, right? Five years, maybe. Well, Martin's definitely his best friend, if you can even consider <laughs> can him have that. have a friend, yeah. Right. As Martin clearly catches on to, that intends that he's going to kill Debbie, right? Because Debbie is blood related to him. So the fact, so it's not oh. true that he doesn't have anyone behind. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So maybe that's when, why he decided to do it right then was that, he knew that Debbie wasn't going to be around for him to give that to, or he presumed that he was going to kill Debbie. Well, I mean, it's he, possibly. you know, it's right after he did want to kill her. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I suppose we can get back to that wedding scene. I yeah, tried no, to no, see, now they're, now they're coming up to the wedding. It's, it's, it's a little bit difficult in this movie, actually, to remember what happened when, because it's just a lot of vignettes, like this yes. happened and this happened, and there's ways to connect it in your head, like, oh, he was injured here or not injured here, but... Um, Movies are hard to follow. <laughs> if you're Charlie. Yeah. That's a great Charlie voice, by the way. <laughs> that was pretty good. I've had 20 years to practice. <laughs> uh, so Marty, or I, yeah, I call him Marty in my clips too, but Martin comes back uh, to the wedding and realizes that Charlie and Lori are going to get married and uh, they get into a little scuffle. You don't mean you're going to be marrying him. Yeah, he sucks. Charlie McCory? <laughs> he sure is. And don't think you're coming back is going to change it either. Change. Well, now, as to that, I just don't know, Charlie. We hadn't gotten around to talking about marriage. What right do you got to be talking marriage to any decent woman? Well, if you're referring to that crazy murder charge, you And just... other things. Maybe you think you're getting away with being smart about that Indian wife you took. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I'll bet she ain't the first squall you ever what took. Was you wondering? No, Why you done it again? Well, then they go outside and proceed to have like a slap fight. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> that everybody just kind of watches. A very elaborate start to that fight too. Like, let's put this log on the ground, and you're supposed to spit over the log, and then I just jump at you. <laughs> right? Exactly. It was just kind of a mess. <laughs> but again, comic relief. It was fun. And Ethan enjoys it too. Oh, yeah. You just he see him hilarious. sitting over the corner and very self satisfied that he gets to watch this. Although he won't let the uh the mom watch. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Mrs. Jorgensen, he shoves her back in the house. I forgot about that. I actually really liked her character. She was very no nonsense. Oh of right, the women yeah. in that film, like she is she's hard. Right. Well, she was a school teacher. Oh yeah, that's true. But in any case, at some point they all <laughs> they all get together and decide to go raid the uh, Comanche camp and try to get Debbie back, and that goes, I guess, as successfully as you might hope. Yeah. What I find interesting about it, like, and this goes back to what Adam was saying of Martin being being the hero character, is that Martin goes in to try to save Debbie against Ethan's Ethan's wishes. Ethan just wants to ride into the camp to be able to kill her. Right. Kill her. Kill Scar. Have his vengeance. And Martin says, no, 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 let me go in before you, the rest of you go in. Please just let me go in beforehand and see if I can do anything. And so Martin goes in and he's the one who saves Debbie and he's the one who kills Scar. And then Debbie and Martin escape and then Ethan finds them and tries to kill Debbie. He tries to snatch her away. But before that, he scalps Scar. 
Right, he does. Yeah, he yeah. finds Scar already dead. Already dead. Like, work's been done, but no, 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 I'm taking this. You gotta finish up, Exactly. Right? Take Takes uh, takes the scalp, and then, yeah, and then chases after Martin and Debbie, and, and takes her, um, and, and kind of hauls her off as if he's going to kill her, and then, and then finds that he can't. Was there any, like, tip-off from her that maybe she wasn't completely converted? He's holding her, he's carrying her, and he kind of, like, holds her up, and she, like, puts her arm up, like she's, like, a fist up, like she was going to strike him, like she's gonna slap him or hit him or something, and then puts it back down or, like, kind of hesitates. And I think that that's supposed to be this, like, moment that he's like, oh, no, no, right. she's I still was... in there. Well, no, I think she does that because she sees that he's he's changed and he's not going to kill her. So he she doesn't need to feel fearful oh. of him like she oh, yeah. originally did, like at the whatever that Dune shootout thing. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I don't know that I read it that way, but I like it. Yeah. I, so I guess at that point, everything's figured out. And all the evil Comanche are dead. And <laughs> yes, clearly. gets to take her home. Oh, the other thing, I forgot that earlier when they had met Scar, when they had gone peacefully to the camp to, to talk with him, mm-hmm. uh, he had displayed some scalps, mm-hmm. right? Which was supposed to show, I guess, that, you know, they're brutal or they're taking people's scalps. But later, when Ethan's talking to Martin, he says that one of those scalps was Martin's mother. Oh, that's right. That's why I thought maybe, too, that there was more to that story than we knew. Like, why would he recognize Martin's mother's scalp? Yeah. Unless... Except we have no actual evidence for that. You think he's just lying to try to get his blood pressure up and make him fight harder? Yeah, to, right. To try and get Martin onto his side. Look, clearly you have to kill these people because they're terrible. That's clearly your mother, right? Which... You know, how could you possibly tell? Exactly. Like, without being specifically intimate with, like, their hair pattern or something. Yeah, so I I took that as Ethan trying to be manipulative. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a good take on it, too. Because that's not, I took it at face value, which is probably a bad idea (laughs) when you're talking about Ethan. So, I mean, that's pretty much the plot in a gigantic nutshell that yeah that's took the thing us 40 is that it's just through, it's, it's an epic i mean that's yeah. that's really what you need it's, it's a lot of a yeah. lot of things happening over the course of a long period of time and as you described he brings debbie back and then just takes off yeah and leaves very short away. scene yeah not so much interesting to him that he completed the task he's just got to go and do something else right? yeah which we don't know what it's going to be so he's shown a bit of redeeming quality, right? And that he doesn't kill Debbie, but at the core of it, he's still the same person ultimately that he was. And that sort of person has no business belonging inside the house with the happy. Yeah. Reunions. Right. So do you think that's his personal choice? Like Ethan's thinking that, or it's more like a director's or writer's choice. I think it's a little of both. A little of both. So you think Ethan really felt that like, I don't belong here or I shouldn't be going yeah. in. Well, I, you know, if nothing else, he probably felt like this isn't really my scene, baby. Well, yeah, I think he thought those exact words. <laughs> this really isn't my scene. It's not my bag, baby. Baby, right? <laughs> Overall, it's it's not. I don't. I don't think it's like the best western I've ever seen. Not even that <laughs> I've seen that many. But I mean, it's a it's a decent epic. I find it interesting that I like it more when we talk about it than I did yeah. just as my impression, like when I got finished watching it. Right. Which is a good hallmark of a good movie, right? Is that you can discuss it with people and get more out of it. But it was obscure enough that we didn't necessarily get it by ourselves. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like Batman versus Superman. No, no, right. not like that right. at all. Like when we discussed it and we got less out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I got dumber. The universe balancing itself out, right? 
But my mom's name is Martha, too. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Just like the name of the mom in this movie. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do have one more clip, which uh, John Wayne has Ooh. one catchphrase. He has one catchphrase that he uses in this, which apparently, okay, I'll, I'll Just tell that it. little story after. Don't even know if Debbie and Lucy's in this punch. Maybe they split up. They're with them, all right, if they're still alive. You've said that enough. Maybe Lucy's dead. Maybe they're both dead. But if I hear that from you again, I'll fight you, Mr. Edwards. That'll be the day. <laughs> I thought he said it more than he did. I think I only find it twice. It's though. either two or three times, yeah, that he says that'll be the day. That's, I guess the story behind that is that Buddy Holly made a song called That'll Be the Day, specifically based on this movie really yeah like he watched the movie and liked the line so much that that's what he named this is according to wikipedia again so grain of salt yep yep although that seems like a weird one to lie about on wikipedia i don't know i like the song <laughs> which one is that it's a buddy holly song called well, that'll be the yeah, day I know. <laughs> that'll be the day when you say goodbye that'll oh, yeah. be the day when you, you make, make me cry. cry you say you're gonna leave you know that's a lie because That'll be the day that I die. So yeah. <laughs> so that just happened. Yeah. Um, I guess I guess the archetypes of you know your hero and antihero as they go through this quest, you know that those are pretty well followed. Yeah. You know, and so you can take that and apply it to other epics, you know, and see see the similarities. Yeah, I I guess I enjoyed the fact that a lot of it was subtle or things explained in a glance or not fully explaining through the script, you know, what the relationship between all these characters are. And only upon really reflecting on it, you might be able to figure these things out. I got a lot more out of this watching than I did the first one at 2 a.m. when I was 15 years old. <laughs> well, uh, that's, that's good. How about you, Adam? How did What did you think of this movie overall as a package? Um, in some respects, it's kind of hard to determine because I think it was fairly influential on a lot of movies that came after it. And so a lot of the things that other movies do and do better, it's sort of hard to, to look back at the original and see it for the groundbreaking sort of thing that it was in many regards. Um, so I think for me, it's sort of like Citizen Kane in that it's an easier movie to admire than to actually like. Right. Yeah. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. Like I can, I definitely appreciate what it's trying to do because Going into it, I was worried that this was just going to be like full-blown racist against Native Americans, American Indians, right? And it's not that at all. Like, they definitely go out of their way to demonstrate that, like I said, John Wayne's character is an asshole mm-hmm. and is not is not someone to emulate or look up to. And all the racism is really contained within that one character, besides the yeah. pronunciation maybe of Comanche. I, you don't really see it with anyone else. Well, but there's a lot of like casual racism, I think, going on. Yeah. 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 But that would have been welcomed in the 1950s in America. Like, I don't yeah. think anyone yeah. would have been too broken up about that or, right. you know. No, no, no. I, but but the, I think the fact that they address it at all in the way they do is a bit of a radical departure at that time. Right. So that was welcome. I don't remember what my point was. Oh, just that. Yeah, it was good. It's hard to look at it through the lens of now and not see all of the movies that have come subsequently yeah. right this is the lawrence so of arabia's and the exactly. star wars mm-hmm. yeah and the things like that. yeah which i think is a problem we're gonna have with this uh podcast a lot as we go back and watch these movies and like oh that wasn't quite as good as i remember but maybe at the time it was a little bit more influential oh so you got to stay current with your uh 
your Dawn of Justice and your Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad, I don't know. I still haven't seen it. I know that I will eventually have to watch it. It's so disjointed. <laughs> it, it it really looks like they made a, a fairly dark movie. Yeah. By the way, uh, listen to The Searchers and get Suicide Squad as a bonus. <laughs> uh, that movie looks like they, the director originally did a much darker movie. The trailer people cut together a more goofy looking trailer and then they had to go and reshoot stuff to make it more like the trailer and it doesn't ever quite work it's very uneasy that join so that would be uh an anti-recommendation but one thing we like to do at the end of uh every episode is give uh everyone a chance to recommend a movie or a tv show or i guess anything uh that they think other people should be watching listening to etc because you've you've been a good person. You've come on our show. You've watched a movie put that we wanted to watch. You've put up with our crap. We put up with your crap. So now the rest of the universe has to put up with our crap. How are you going to make them do that? Oh, you mean besides the Gobeski Wallace Report, our our podcast, our sister podcast? Oh yes, uh, this is a good opportunity to tell everyone about uh, our podcast. We've been running for ten years now, right? That about yep. right. Two thousand and seven yep. is when we started it. Yep. Uh, Go Basky Wallace Report. You can look us up. Go Report dot com, etc. That should be enough for you to be able to find it. iTunes, Google Play, all that stuff. Uh, yeah. So obviously, I mean, you're a monster if you're not watching Doctor Who. All okay, of, it. of course. Uh, just in keeping with the DC theme, I think if you want to watch something that's actually good quality DC, uh, you should be watching Arrow and the Flash. Oh, those yeah. Related shows. I've heard good things, but haven't gotten into it yet. Yeah, I highly recommend them. They're they're so good, and they're so much better than the equivalent movies. Like it's it's amazing. <laughs> it's it's like it's like Marvel should stick to movies and not world deal with the Agents of Shield stuff, and DC should stick to TV shows and not deal with worry about the movies. <laughs> what seasons are those in now? Uh, Arrow's currently in season five. Flash is in season three. Legends of Tomorrow is in season two. Supergirl's in season two. <laughs> I love how you have all this information so readily available. <laughs> it's impressive. This is Adam. <laughs> and uh, I think that's currently it. Uh, there's a new CW DC show coming out called Black Lightning, uh, which may or may not be connected. And then there was an NBC show a couple years ago called Constantine based on uh, the Hellblazer comics. And so the Keanu Reeves movie, Constantine, like that same character, uh, that got canceled, but that's got pulled into the what's called the Arrowverse because Arrow was the first show. And so you can seek that out, too. And that's pretty good. Uh, the plots aren't the best, but Matt Ryan's is so perfect as John Constantine to me that you really just wish that they had kept going just for that. Uh, I guess my recommendation I'd like to give this week is the television. Wait, why do you give another rating? Because we all do. Yeah, we each get a recommendation. Oh. Yeah. No, I get your recommendation too. Oh, all right, go you for it. You don't get to recommend things. You, all right. I get to recommend things for you. The executive producer is uh, Pulling on rank. the mic right now, so we have to listen to him. Next week, I won't, but this week, go for it. What's your second recommendation? Uh, you are recommending that people watch all of Star Trek. Oh, all of it. From... Uh, the cage with Jeffrey Hunter all the way through to the end of enterprise animated series. Oh, of course. Of course. Okay, oh great. Uh, I I've calculated that if you watch roughly an hour a day, it'll only take you about two years. No. Oh, how would you know that Adam? Uh, I calculated it once. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, give a shout out to your, uh, blog. Oh wait, that was for oh, doctor who that was for doctor who. Yeah. But you are no, still kind of watch. doing it with star Trek. 
I did watch an hour of Doctor Who a day, and that took a year and a half. <laughs> and uh, because Star Trek episodes are longer, that actually ends up taking longer. So I briefly considered doing the Star Trek one until I saw it would be two years. <laughs> Probably over two years by the time the new Star Trek series comes out this year. So, yeah, we're going to not do that. <laughs> <laughs> but you should be able to check out those blogs at GobeskyWallsReport.com as well. Yes, by the time this goes up, I'll put a link up. Oh, <laughs> I thought that already existed. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I'm allowed a recommendation or if Adam's no, no, making a allowed. third one. Oh, just, no, just Adam Charlie? likes to harass me, but oh, okay. well, <laughs> he just sure. met you, so he wants to sure. make a good impression, at least initially. Um, well, I think um, kind of in keeping with the, the anti-hero hero kind of thing, uh, I would have to say that if you haven't gotten around to uh, uh, watching all of Breaking Bad, that that's definitely one to go through. I really like the progression of the Brian Cranston character. Uh, to me, at least for me personally, it's like watching the first Godfather movie. Yeah, just watching Michael kind of deteriorate as it as it goes on. It felt like the same thing watching him. Did you watch those all? Like, did you binge watch those or did you watch them as they were going on? I binge watched those. Yeah. So yeah. I watched them as they were going on and it was very... So I agree with you. I like the sort of arc that the character takes, but it took a lot longer <laughs> for me. Yes. It was like the first thing I watched on Netflix streaming that convinced me that it was a good service was that they had the first season of Breaking Bad back in 2009 or 2008 yeah. or something like that. Um, I will say that when watching um, some of the darker series like that, even though it was AMC, you know, it's not it's not your HBO Showtime series, but um, that I could only watch, you know, two or three episodes in, in a kind of a, a shot, I had to break up the binging because you just would uh, bum you out. You know, you're yeah. like, oh, man, let's just all give up and, and like smoke meth. Um, <laughs> so, That's what you got from that? <laughs> well, it just kind of wore on my on my soul. I tend to be an optimistic human being. It just kind of <laughs> brought me down, man. But, um, yeah, breaking it up, I found it it fascinating. I thought the how they handled that deterioration was it was very impressive. And uh, Vince Gilligan said parts of The End of Breaking Bad were inspired by The Searchers. Really? That's yep. not surprising. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. Specifically the episode Felina, I think. I'll have to look up which one that was. Yeah. The second to last one. Okay. Second Makes me want to go back and go back and pick that up again. Uh, so thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of our show. Uh, thank you very much to our executive producer, Adam Gobeski, for uh, being a guest. Yep. That'll be the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see you later, Jessica. See you later, Charlie. <laughs> Go yourself, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> That's our first word we have to bleep. Yay! Yay! <laughs> well, it's the first word we have to decide whether we're going to bleep or not. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> Fantastic. You have a you have a distinction, Adam. Yeah. That's what I'm going for. Well, that wraps it up. Thanks so much for joining us. We had a great time. And be sure to catch the next episode where we're uh, going to discuss another pop culture gem. Hope you really enjoyed it. Yes, and make sure to check us out on the social media trifecta of Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. No Pinterest, though. That place sucks. <laughs> and, and then as soon as Marty sits down to actually enjoy his drink and it, they actually call him marty martin oh sorry i okay. thought it was martin it might have been martin. Marty, charlie, like it's back to the future charlie <laughs> and i are just so comfortable with these characters <laughs> they just feel like friends i thought maybe charlie had accidentally watched back to the future part three instead <laughs> also a western <laughs> that's true a western i've seen <laughs>
Make sure to tune in to our next episode when we watch the 1960 movie The Apartment starring Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine.